gentlemen, I am your host, Kurt Wilker Jr., and this is the Coin Geek Weekly live stream. And every time I say the name right without a s- 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 stutter, I get uh, I get a little bonus from uh, from Calvin, who pays me directly. I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> so we've got a bunch of stuff going on. I'm going to tell everybody ahead of time there is a live hearing in the climb and right case going on right now. And if you think it's going to be more interesting than the live stream, then you are a terrible human being. And I want you to leave right now. You're not welcome to watch the stream any longer unless you pay me. Uh, we will put this behind a paywall if too many people drop off of the stream live. But if you find it so necessary to go listen to a bunch of lawyers and judges talk about Craig Wright and Ira Kleiman in a status hearing, no less, that is going on right now if uh, if you want to go watch that. but. I'm missing it on purpose to spend my afternoon with you, and I would appreciate your full and undivided attention because today we're going to be talking to, uh, I don't know if it's fair to say a dear old friend of mine because I don't know how old of friends we are compared to all the other people in our lives, but uh, Daniel is somebody who I respect immensely. He's a person whose uh, who's views on Bitcoin uh, very much influenced my own, especially in the early days. Uh, in fact, reading his stuff from from back in the day, back when he was uh, a Mises fellow, uh, were, were some of the things that inspired me about my view of of money itself. This is even uh, going to maybe even before Bitcoin. So uh, I don't remember exactly. I, I should since I take the title of a historian around here. So I should probably get my facts straight before I run my mouth. But nonetheless, uh, Daniel Krawitz, the emperor of Bitcoin, the the great stag, <laughs> the uh, the blue deer, as, as as people will often say on social media, uh, is going to be on the show here to listen uh, to your questions. So should you have any, any uh, questions for the emperor, please get them queued up. Please get them ready. But he has brought his own notes. We're going to be discussing uh, some of the stuff that he and I talk about privately uh, on the regular. Uh, I also should probably call out, uh, Daniel has a Twitch stream uh, where he plays video games and talks about all kinds of really cool stuff too. So you should definitely check out Daniel's Twitch streams. I am an occasional guest. Uh, we've kind of had an ongoing, probably for the last three months now, we've been trying to uh, get our get our schedules to align to have a public conversation. So I'm super excited <laughs> for everyone to hear this conversation. Uh, it's going to be everything from proof of work signal theory stuff, kind of the stuff you'd expect from Daniel, but I'm going to do my best to suss out some stuff that maybe you haven't heard from either him or myself uh, recently. But I want to I want to point out a couple of things before we go that direction. Uh, first of all, the the price of BSV at the moment, well, my price feed's not loading. looks like we're at $373, uh, which is, you know, about what we'd expect it to be at this point, uh, given the way the week's been. We've seen a lot of really weird volatility across the market. If you look at the the wicks on everything, we get really big purchases and then really big dips. I'm not exactly sure what that indicates, but what I think it indicates is that people are showing up, they're buying BSV with their real money because they're interested in BSV. And I think it's causing uh, some minor liquidation of the margin shorts because there's a ton of margin shorts open on BSV across the market. So it's causing like micro... Uh, short squeezes basically which is creating these like really quick candles that just come right back to the mean again so there, there's there's some interesting stuff going on and uh i don't know i i think we're starting to really see um an increasing number of people interested in bsv both for you know the simple trader economic opportunity it's quote-unquote alt season and, and we're seeing some of that but 
Uh, we're also having some bigger conversations with an increasing number of people who, you know, when they when they join any shitcoin economy, they they get to play the pump, then they see the dump, and then they exit. But every time somebody comes to look at BSV, you start to say, well, hey, here's my Twitch invitation, and you should follow me on all of these different uh, platforms here. Come check out. Uh, you should join Tonic Pow. Oh, you're an influencer. You could be making a lot of money using things like Tonic Pow and Relica and some of these other things. So there's there's an opportunity to stay in the BSV community when you join, and and then that's a really uh, it's a really different thing than basically any other um, any other community. So you can join Solana, you can join Doge, uh, you know things like that. But Doge doesn't even have a native Doge wallet or a lead developer or even a development team or even its own mining. It is just simply merge mined with. Litecoin, which is about the lamest thing you could do in the universe at this point. So uh, <laughs> for for anybody, uh, please queue up your questions, comments, blessings, cursings, grapes, gripes, gropes. I should really add to that list. There's got to be other things that you can do here on the CoinGeek live stream. Uh, before we cut to the commercial and bring Daniel in. Uh, oh, I got a private message, presumably from Alex Moon. <clears throat> oh, he's making fun of me. That's good. This is this is a wonderful relationship we have here. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to thank Alex uh, because he likes to, he likes to point out that I need to be a little more tough. That I I compliment my enemies too much. So Alex, you're both handsome and talented, and I'm very grateful for everything you do for the Coin Geek live stream. <laughs> And uh, let's cut to commercial because I'm about to lose my marbles here uh, because really one of my very favorite people is going to be the guest today and, and I'm excited about it. So Alex, data is one of the world's most valuable commodities. Tech giants and institutions have become richer by collecting and selling data. Data has the power to liberate, but has been used to manipulate Data should be used to improve interoperability while securing privacy. Data sovereignty is most powerful when ownership is restored to individuals. But how can we speed up the flow of information while also empowering everyone to be more private, secure, and free? Join us at CoinGeek Zurich and learn how the Bitcoin SV blockchain ignites the power of data. Hello, Daniel. <laughs> hey, Kurt. Uh, what a what a great introduction. Thanks a lot for inviting me uh, on the live stream. For sure. Can, can I get your permission to refer to you as my dear old friend? Uh, sure. And uh, yeah, you're you're my friend too. I, and I didn't know you were uh, reading my articles uh, from before I was even in Bitcoin. But I, yeah, I had some stuff that was published on mm -hmm. the Mises Institute. Yeah. And uh, recently, uh, that stuff has been archived on the bsv blockchain i didn't get a oh. a link ready for uh, i but, didn't i didn't even know that that's awesome to hear. I've, I've archived all of my stuff on on chain now so um and there's uh, an important article from that time called how the free market works and that basically explains the austrian theory of the economy uh and it just it goes through everything in um, in a short article that would normally take an Austrian economist a thousand pages, and I've, that's what I've been trying to explain to people for the last ten years in Bitcoin. But 
we're <laughs> we're still on uh, the 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 uh, we're still people are still struggling with the first few things, the first couple of sentences that I would want to uh, explain to them about economics. I, I think one of my favorite things that you talk about is like opportunity cost and and money, like how how you actually measure money and. Uh, you, you just today, I think it was this morning, uh, your interview with Michael Wehrman, your written interview there, uh, posted. And in that, he quoted you, uh, he quoted on Twitter, actually, which is what uh, got me to read the article, was talking about the um, like the opportunity cost, the speculative nature of holding fiat currency. And I think that's something that people people don't consider. They're not thinking about the devaluation of their fiat because it's the measuring stick that they're used to. But can, maybe you can touch on that a little bit. Like, what is the opportunity cost of holding fiat currency? And then I'd like to bounce it to a, a more Bitcoin-related question. Yeah, well, um, so, well, first of all, in Austrian economics, all costs are opportunity costs. So that means that um, when you think of the uh, the uh, the downside to anything, it's always what else you could have done that you cannot do because you did something. So, you know, you have a certain amount of hours in the day and there's only so much you can fit in. So the, the cost of, um, you know, uh, watching a, a TV show might be, uh, going out and taking a walk or, uh, reading a book or, Anything else you could have done. See, so um, um, when you think about the the ideal portfolio, what what you want is to to minimize cost or to you want to maximize the difference between value and costs. So value is what what you're going to get eventually, and cost is is what what you're losing because you invested in one thing over another. And so the cost of uh, holding money uh, or, or of having, having savings is that you could spend it or that you could invest it in something that earns interest, like a stock or a bond. So the cost of holding cash is uh, income or consumption. And um, so like to me, people in Bitcoin are kind of like people in a business who don't know what the bottom line is. Because this is sort of like what I'm talking about now is is the bottom line. And uh, that's kind of like the most important thing in a business. And uh, people don't know, don't know what it is in Bitcoin. So, um, uh, so yeah, well, I'm glad we're talking about this because to me, people in, in BSV are very, uh, very optimistic about the future prospects of BSV. But to me, I like a, a, a business that doesn't know about the bottom line isn't doing very well. (laughs) So (laughs) I think, so I think we should, uh, figure this stuff out. Um, so, I mean, the cost of a um, – so basically the difference between a uh, a money that has 
inf- inflation versus a money with a fixed supply like like Bitcoin mm-hmm. is that um, uh, there is more benefit to someone with a, a longer term time frame. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're using, oh, well, so yeah, we talked about the costs of money, but I didn't talk about the benefit of money yet. Yep. So the benefit of holding cash is uh, being able to take advantage of new opportunities. So if you're weighing the um, the value or the the um, or if you're th- if you're if you're weighing the um, uh, the trade off of of uh, of buying buying Bitcoin, um, what you you should think about is what you're losing, which is consumption or income. Uh, versus what you're gaining, which is the ability to um, be first to take advantage of new opportunities. Sure. So if there's going to be a lot of new opportunity in Bitcoin, then um, then you would want a lot a lot of Bitcoin relative to hash power. Mm-hmm. Hash power is kind of like a stock because it earns income. So mm-hmm. you can think of, you can just you can think about the whole economy if you just think about buying hash power versus holding Bitcoin versus uh, consumption. Hmm. So, um, um, uh, what was I just talking about? Uh, oh yeah, cost versus benefit. Yeah, and so so fiat is like someone who is is standing between everybody like the central bank mm-hmm. and uh they close off the the path to benefiting from holding cash in the future mm-hmm. because uh they are um uh, um they're they're increasing the supply so you have to think about how that cash is that you have is going to be a smaller fraction of the total economy in the future if the economy stays the same size. Sure. Um, and um, so, um, well, I guess that that answers the question, right? Uh, I think I think For that sure. answers the question. <laughs> It does. So I, I think in in regards to BSV, I, I have a constant barrage of small blockers asking me when I am willing to capitulate due to how much opportunity cost I've had being a BSV holder. And uh, oh yeah, because you could have made a lot, you could have had a larger net worth as measured in dollars. Yes, if you had had more BTC. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not real opportunity cost because the only way you would actually gain from having that is if you could sell out of BTC before the system is uh, destroyed, which could happen at any time. And we don't really know when. Absolutely. So I, well, and my response to that is always like, well, you're missing the opportunity cost of having not had all of your money in Dogecoin because it has outperformed <laughs> BTC, you know, on Twitch. Right. You know, cognitive dissidence and you know, screeching. 
But yeah. um, <laughs> do you think, like, what is a better measuring stick? I, I really like the, the concept of, of time price. So it's how much value can be created in time. Uh, or is BSV just plainly the best measuring stick in your opinion? And why? Well, uh, I mean, the, the whole concept of a measuring stick of value is, is flawed. And uh, people should stop believing that they can have something like that. So uh, Bitcoin is not a measuring stick of value because the uh, the value of the coin relative to the total economy will change. And I mean, it does with fiat too, but they're always they're always saying that we have to keep keep it stable. But that's a scam. Um, uh, there's no such thing as a stable value because yeah. over time the economy changes um, not just quantitatively but qualitatively because there are different goods and things. So mm-hmm. um, you can't really say what is the same value over different times. Uh, sure. Over over longer times it gets more more difficult. But so I mean over really short times you can kind of do that but over over big times you can't um um and so instead what uh, uh, people should think of money as a shared concept of efficiency mm-hmm. and that is how ludwig von mises thought about money i mean that's one of the ways that he thought about money that's one of the things that he he thought of that's important about it anyway and so what Mises said is when we get rid of capital markets, as in a socialist economy, we do not have a shared concept of efficiency anymore. So right. what happens is we have an economy where nothing is efficient because we don't know what efficiency is. Yeah. So money is not a measuring stick. It is a concept, a shared concept of efficiency. So if if you do something and you end up with uh, more Bitcoins than you started with, then that is efficient. And if you do end up with less, then that's inefficient. And um, different monies are competing concepts of efficiency. So what we have with a fixed supply in Bitcoin is we have a reason for people to think farther out into the future insofar as mm-hmm. what, what is, uh, what, how, how are they going to, to try to find value? They, they can think farther ahead mm-hmm. because they're not constantly losing value. Um, so it's, if we've got dollars, it's efficient to think. It's efficient to have short-term thinking because you lose if you right. have long-term thinking. Sure. Well, you lose relative to if we were using Bitcoin anyway. I mean, it's still yeah. it's still good to be a long-term thinker. It's just not as good. Right. Well, and that begs the question. I mean, the the thesis about uh, exiting the dollar and, and using Bitcoin as a way to store value away from that inflation seems very simple and practical. Like, is, is that a valuable thesis to, to move every dollar that you can spare into Bitcoin? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I think you have to think about, 
where where the opportunity is likely to be. So, I mean, I think that over time, the Bitcoin economy is going to grow uh, or it's going to grow a lot easier than the dollar economy. But, I mean, right now, the dollar economy is a lot bigger than the Bitcoin economy. Yeah. So, I mean, because of that, I, I don't think that you should, I mean, not not investment advice, but I don't think that you would want to put everything in, in BSV um, because, yeah. um, uh, I mean, really like the best portfolio is kind of like the, the right proportion of everything. And there's going to be some opportunity in, in the dollar economy and, and some in, in the Bitcoin economy. It's just over time, I think there's going to be a lot more in the Bitcoin economy. But I mean, there's also potential problems from not being prepared for, um, not not being prepared to have enough dollars either. Um, yeah. So uh, we have an interesting question here from Stella Winston. I'm not sure I even understand the question, uh, but please explain inverted hash as a measure of value. Does, I'm not sure what okay. inverted hash means. A a well a, an in an inverted hash would be something that um, should is supposed to be impossible for for cryptography a completely inverted hash because that would mean that um, uh, you give me a number and I create a document which hashes to that number. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not supposed to be able to do that in oh. uh, in cryptography. I so mean, just doing the steps backwards, essentially. Yeah. So, oh, well, that what I was talking about was just one one instance, like inverting yeah. one one hash. But yeah, that would be even worse if you found a <laughs> a general way of inverting yeah. the hash function. Sure. Um, and um, so. It's supposed to be exponentially like the the odds of inverting a hash are supposed to be exponentially suppressed. Mm-hmm. So, meaning that the um, uh, the number uh, uh, for each additional bit in the hash, it takes twice as many trials to invert the hash. Mm-hmm. But we can have a a partially inverted hash, which means that um, we have some constraints on the hash, so you could you could say, give me a ha- uh, give me a document whose hash has the first uh, byte is all, is all zeros. Yeah. So the f- the first the first byte of the hash is zero, and then that is uh, and the rest of the hash can be anything, and the odds of that are one out of 256. So that's pretty easy. I could do that because I can afford to do 256 trials uh, sure. uh, on a cheap computer. And well, so you could do a lot, a lot more than that. You could have a worse, a worse constraint than that. Yeah. And um, a partially inverted hash is not a measure of value either. Really, a, a partially inverted hash can be used to uh, make a, a claim about 
about value. Not necessarily right. a, a true claim, but it would be it's it's in your incentive to make a correct assessment of value. So right. if somebody is giving you a, a partially if I'm if I'm giving you a document with a partially in that was created by partially inverting a hash, um what you would what my optimal strategy would be would would be to correctly uh provide the the value of the information in the document based on the degree to which the hash was constrained and that's the handicap principle um it's just like how the the peacock's tail is as big as the peacock can afford it to be. True. So if it's too big, then that's too much, too much resources that aren't going into his, his body. So that's too much. That's too much. Uh, like you can't, he can't live well if the tail is too big. He right. has a scrawny body. Yeah. 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 Um, but if, the tail is too small, then he doesn't get enough attention from females. So there's a trade-off between um, attention, attention versus um, uh, versus living living well now, um, sure. or getting getting fatter, right? Right. So you could be you could be a fat peacock that gets no no female attention. Or um, you could be uh, a scrawny peacock who gets um, more attention than you know what to do with. Um, and um, and well, there's bad attention too because yeah. the other the other male peacocks can also see that, and so <laughs> they're going to try to fight with you. And if yeah. you're not strong enough, then they're going to win, and that mm-hmm. doesn't work out either. So the the opportunity cost of partially inverting a hash is getting is being fatter um okay. but the opportunity cost of being of not doing not doing the the handicap is attention mm-hmm. and the reason you get attention is because it's rational to be honest um and so um Graffin showed that um, rational females pay no attention to males with no advertisement. So um, what what that means is that everybody is irrational right now because sure. everybody is we don't we don't have we don't have <laughs> we don't have a an advertisement that is associated with a we we just we just don't have a very honest signal right no, now. No, so no. it's like all, everybody is paying attention to people with no advertisement instead of not paying attention to anybody without an advertisement. <laughs> sure, I get it. Distinct but crucial. <laughs> yeah. Um, question here from Bits Complicated, uh, Daniel. Which is a more apt or which is more apt as an analogy? Thinking of money as a transfer of energy. Or a transfer of memory, or are they both really the same thing? Um, well, uh, I would say that it is neither. 
And um, I, I would say what what is being transferred is opportunity. So it's always about, I mean, you wouldn't want money if you didn't think you were going to be able to spend it on something in the future. Mm-hmm. So I would say history is past oriented. So you, that's not what you want. What, what you want is something in the future. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you're giving somebody money, you're, you're giving them, you're giving them opportunity. Uh, you're giving them the ability to take anything they want out of the future economy. Okay. And um, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think that they're the same as energy or I don't think money is, is energy. Um, but isn't everything because energy? what isn't everything energy or no? Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everything is every, everything physical is energy. Um, yeah. I guess I would say money is an idea. So it has, uh, it, it, there have to be records somewhere that are physical, but okay. money is not energy because, uh, energy is constantly being produced and consumed. Mm-hmm. Whereas the amount of money is, is fixed okay. or, you know, ideally it, it would be. So yeah. I think, I guess, actually I do have. Um, a physics analogy for money. Uh, I think money is like uh, mass. Mm-hmm. And so mass is a form of energy, but it's not, it's not all energy. And mass is the, um, uh, it's like the, the gravitational charge. So mass is a conserved quantity well, mm-hmm. it is in, in Newtonian physics. It's not in, yeah. but, cl- you know, close <laughs> enough. I mean, it's, there's gravity is associated with conserved charges that are related to mass, but really yep. it's the, the stress energy tensor. But mm-hmm. mass is close. It's close enough. So mass is like the gravitational charge. And, um, uh, um, I mean, it's kind of like how I say Bitcoin is a, a black hole. So that's what happens when all of the mass uh, uh, comes comes together into um, one one system that that sucks everything in. So that's kind of like saying the whole economy is going to be running on Bitcoin eventually. The whole the whole world sure. economy is going to get sucked into Bitcoin. Is that possible? You, you know, you mentioned like we don't really have honest signals right now, but, you know, eventually we fall into this black hole. And like, I love that. First of all, they're good analogies. But second of all, um, it's it's what I hope to see in the world. But is it is it possible to to get proof of work high enough and distributed enough and, and focused on the right things to to create a world that's possible? Or are we just too screwed up? Are we too imperfect to to have such a world? Uh, <laughs> well, um, I mean, okay, that's going to lead us into the topic that I actually wanted to talk about because cool. what I think is that uh, people in Bitcoin are the next stage of human evolution. And the, the, uh, the next level of human evolution is people who can think about cooperation on a global scale. Mm-hmm. So right now, most of the people 
don't know how to do that. And they're just scammed into things that are not cooperative. Okay. But when, like when, um, the, the, the ability to understand what is cooperative is a survival trait. So people who do understand this are going to have, uh, more children than those who don't. So the future world is going to have uh, more people like us. <laughs> sure. And so then people will be less Im- imperfect. So, you know, I, I think that people now are kind of uh, uh, adapted to small tribes. And we've had a massive change in the human environment over time scales that are much shorter than uh, yeah. evolution normally operates. Mm-hmm. So people around the world are just running around acting like they, they still think they're hunter gatherers yeah. and uh, they don't, they don't understand the new environment that they're in very well. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's how they get, they get tricked because their, their instincts are wrong. I mean, they're wrong for the, the environment we're in now. And sure. so, um, um, so anyway, uh, the, 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 the new, the new species is, is homo Bitcoinus. So you should watch my, my video on that. One of my favorites. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, but I mean, I think that, um, like a small group of people can do a lot of good if they maximize their effect. So, I mean, this is something that's been kind of frustrating me about what I've been trying to work on because I I feel like I keep talking about things that maximize success a lot Mm -hmm. more than what we're doing now. And, um, people don't don't act like they they want to 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 do it you know what i mean yeah. so it's just like i've been saying like bitcoin is kind of like a business where people don't know what the bottom line is so right. like why don't we understand what the bottom line is and then make sure that everything we do is focused on the bottom line you know like like a real business that's actually successful and so another thing is like right now we have a really bad labor shortage in Bitcoin. And so we can optimize the use of labor with a a proof of work signaling system, which is what I've been trying to to build. Um, And uh, I, I just, it's been very hard for me to, like whenever I talk about it, it's like people just don't understand what it's good for when really it's like the most successful thing we could be doing. And everyone's trying to do something, something other than that. Like really what would be better than optimizing the use of labor? But like really like if we had a proof of work signaling system that we could use in just arbitrary ways, then the entire economy would be more profitable because uh, there people would be making fewer entrepreneurial errors because they would have better, the better ideas about what is good beforehand. 
Um, so, um, anyway, um, so, well, can we get to my, my notes now? Cause we're, we're over halfway through and we, I haven't even yeah, got yeah, started. Yeah. Let's do okay, it. Okay. <laughs> so like the first thing I wanted to talk about is some people think that I'm a philosopher. You come across as philosophical. Yeah, but I'm really an economist. Philosophy is just what I do in my spare time. So (laughs) economics is what actually makes me useful around here. Yeah. But so philosophy, that's just... So, you know, a while back I made a bunch of videos and I did a lot of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And that was because I was trying to find people who weren't brainwashed. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But... Like what I'm actually, what's actually useful that I can do is economics. Mm-hmm. And so far, I mean, this this is another thing that seems crazy to me about Bitcoin. It seems like people don't want to think about economics, even though that's kind of like yeah. what everything we're doing all is right. all it's, about. Yeah, exactly. So to me, economics should really be like the the first thing should be the the first thing we talk about with regard to anything um but um anyway um so um in inclusive fitness mm-hmm. so let's let's talk about that so do you, do you let's okay let's explain what that means so um if let's say let's say that we were brothers. Mm-hmm. Okay. What that means is that we share 50% of our genetic variation. And that means that if you were to take everything that makes me different from the average person mm-hmm. and everything that makes you different from the average person, and we put them on top of each other, there would be a 50% overlap, or we would expect a 50% overlap. Uh, So um, what that means is, uh, and um, you also have a 50% overlap with your children. Right. And you have a, 25% 25% overlap with uh um with your your siblings children so right your okay. nephews and, and nieces they're uh they share a 25% variation with you and it mm-hmm. just it, it goes down by half as you go farther out by one uh one one family member i'm not sure what what we yeah, would one, call that but one step you, across the tree yeah yeah get it right all. Yeah, so it just goes down by half each time you go one one more person farther away. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that uh so if we if we were brothers, what that would mean is every two children you have from my perspective is as good as me having one child. Okay. From from my well, if if I'm trying to maximize fitness genetic dispersion yeah (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) so well so that i mean that's a pretty good deal because then i don't even have to raise them (laughs) 
see what I mean? In, in the yes, I do. As as a uh, as a father losing sleep on a sliding scale, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like, so if we were brothers, because of that connection, you would actually be able to get free stuff out of me, or not necessarily. Just you would be able to get get me to to do things for you for free. Like if you needed babysitting sometime, yeah. like you might not need to pay me to do it. Right. Because yeah. like effort that is invested in your children is uh, promoting my DNA. Right. See? So if we yeah. were brothers. Yes. So that's, that's inclusive fitness. That's, um, that's what it means. Um, uh, um, that's like, um, um, that's like everything about everything that makes your DNA more viable. That doesn't right. just include you. That includes everyone related to you to different right. degrees. Mm-hmm. So, um, 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 so, okay. Oh, okay. So when, when Richard Dawkins wrote the selfish gene, that's mm-hmm. what he was talking about. What he was saying is that if the gene is selfish, then the individual is altruistic. Okay. Because a selfish gene is distributed in many individuals, right? So the gene can be like, I'm going to make all of these individuals uh, benefit each other. And that's good for me. Sure. (laughs) So everybody really liked the idea of the selfish gene, but nobody knew what it meant. That's, That's what it means. So Richard Dawkins wrote another book called The Extended Phenotype. Mm-hmm. And that means the same thing. Um, the extended phenotype, what Dawkins is saying is that the expression of a gene, which is mm-hmm. the phenotype, is really more like a family than an individual because the gene is distributed over the family. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, we've got the same we've got a similar thing going on with with money so when we all use the same money that's like we all have the same gene it's it's like that in the sense that we all benefit from each other's benefit sure makes sense okay so <laughs> To me, that's sort of like the most important thing to understand about the success of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And so what I would like to see is everything we're doing just kind of related to that somehow. But so far, that's <laughs> I think I still think people are very distracted by things that are that are less important than like the, the most fundamental thing about about the value of money for sure so um like when you have when you have money 
you're you're invested in the other people because they're the ones who give you opportunity, right? I mean, remember I said the value is about new opportunity. So it's it's going to be the people who who want to earn that money who are going to give you opportunity. Right. So um um so uh when when you have money your your selfishness is to improve everybody so to be to be altruistic does that make sense you're you're muted my bad i can hear my wife walking above me i didn't want to have everybody listen to her like marching and doing dishes <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> but anyway, like, um, like when, when you get into Bitcoin, it's like you're moving from a situation where, um, where your selfishness is to think about yourself to one where your selfishness is to think about a, a much bigger group of people. Um, and that's because that's, that's because fiat money isn't, isn't very good right. for um, creating a shared benefit. In fact, they're never going to let deflation happen. They're going to say, they always say deflation is evil. So yeah. they're, so they, they cut off all <laughs> opportunities to benefit from uh, the, an increase in the value of the fiat money. Sure. Whereas that, that isn't cut off in Bitcoin. And right. the reason, the reason that Bitcoin would go up, at least if people were, were being rational, which eventually they have no choice. <laughs> uh, the reason it would go up is that uh, it's people observe that, the group of Bitcoiners is more cooperative. In sure. other words, they're, they're creating more opportunity for each other. But but are they? You know, I mean, when you think about it now, I mean, we've we've got a few hundred years of data on the fiat economy cooperating to create all of this. You know, our, our ability to communicate over the internet, for example, and while. Like there's so much imperfection, like the government meddling and, and all of these things and the creation of the internet and all of this. But we are benefiting from that right now. Whereas if you look at the inefficiency right now in the BSV economy, like we're not cooperating that well, even with such great incentives there uh, in, in BSV. So what, what do you, is this, again, is this a time preference thing or, or what is well, what is the issue? I there? mean, I think that what it is, is, People are way way too optimistic about Bitcoin's success right now. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, we need to get a lot more efficient. That's kind of what. That's kind of. That's kind of the point. Like, what? In order to make like Bitcoin's success would happen because Bitcoiners are better cooperator, co better cooperators. Sure. Okay. So yeah, I mean. That's that's what we need to do, and like so far, <laughs> it's like it's uh, for most of the uh, most of the time in Bitcoin, 
like nothing that people have been doing has actually been focused on that idea at all. Right. Okay, well, why do so you think that, that is? Just in real, you know, 30 seconds. Why do you think that is? Just general <laughs> stupidity, lack of fitness. <laughs> I don't I don't know. That's I mean, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I think that yeah. it just has to do with um um I mean, I think Bitcoin does have a lot of very real potential that that people have seen. But um like like right now we need to uh we need to to ask how are we going to realize that potential and how how well are we actually doing that right so like the market has been so exuberant that people haven't really been been asking about that very much yeah. So, okay, you were just saying like Dogecoin doesn't even have a lead developer and I didn't even know that. That's <laughs> that's pretty, I mean, Dogecoin is, I think, the only coin that people in BSV can uh, really learn learn something from. Because I think mm-hmm. that they're, uh, they have a, a cooperative system. It's mm-hmm. But it's not like an economy. It's more like they just have a shared identity. But like it would be good if if we had something like what they were doing, except that it was an actual economy. So not just like not just like the idea of uh, of 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 each other, but like actually doing things for each other. <laughs> sure. Well, okay. So I, I guess I'm going to go back to your other other older your previous question. Because I did think of something. I mean, there's a lot of potential benefit just to bringing new people in in the short mm-hmm. term. So, sure. like the these coin economies can grow just by attracting new people, even if nobody is actually doing anything. <laughs> um, but but that makes sense. <laughs> you know, it does it does make sense because with just more people, that means more stuff will be happening, even if it's almost nothing. <laughs> but sure. I like think being that a slightly it, fatter peacock. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think that it would be better to stop focusing on people outside and trying to attract them in and to focus more on just focus on, on each other and act act as if the Bitcoin economy will never grow by attracting new people. Like to me, that's sort of like, that's, that would be a lot more successful. Yeah. Um, I agree. So, um, um, well, do we have any more, um, more, more questions? Man, there's a pile of questions coming in. People are, uh, here we go. Would boosting NFTs make them more transparent or valuable? Uh, 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 boost is just about gaining attention. So it, it gives a rational, like there's like, so for, for all of the, the proof of work, uh, upvoted content, there's one audience and 
you basically get to buy the attention of that audience. And the yeah. price is just uh, in relation to um, what else is already there. So there's a, uh, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's an audience that exists somewhere and there's competition for their attention and you get, you get as much attention as you want from them for the right price. That's yep. really, that's all it's about. It's just about, and it's, you're not buying attention. You're giving them a rational reason to pay attention. Sure. So like you, like attention, well, I mean, how can you, <laughs> like you can buy attention if it's like from somebody whose job it is to, you know, give you some kind of service or, or something. Mm. But with Boost, it's like, just have a look at this idea. So you, I'm not asking for some particular service from people that I would pay for. Just, I think you would want to, to see this. And, um, and so you give them a rational reason by showing that, uh, that energy was, was consumed. So that's, that's how they right. apportion their attention is sure. whoever they, they, it's sort of like the first, the first round, the first round is pay attention in proportion to proof of work. Yep. And then uh, after that, if you want to give things another look, then that will be based on, based on whether, whether you thought what you saw deserves another look. So right now it's sort of like we don't have this first round of right. uh, competition for for, for content. We we just have a thing where you just have to to read the content before you know anything about it. Whereas right. with, with a, a, a proof of work upvote, we would we would know that uh, we would know about energy that was spent to to gain attention. Sure. So let's talk about Attila's um, NFT protocol, because I think it was really interesting that he he put in the idea that you can associate, you can lock uh, an amount of Satoshis into the NFT itself. He, he used the phrase a price floor. Uh, so if you lock in 2000 Satoshis, then that NFT could never be less than the value of, of 2000 Satoshis. So is that a is that a, a more simple to understand model for like the amount of proof of work that got into something? I, I know this is kind of what Craig uh, responded to the idea of boost as well as like why not just use Satoshi's to to give that signal? Um, uh, so why proof of work instead of just a simple amount of Sats? Um, because well, money isn't isn't the same as energy, so money is just a shared idea. So if you spend money, that's not really losing anything. Yeah. Um, it's like the, the opportunity cost of money is whatever the economy is going to produce. And who knows what that is. But right. the opportunity cost of energy is something that everyone is familiar with from things that are just right around them wherever they are. Sure. Um, so I, I don't think 
It's it's not the same thing at all. And what Attila is t- was doing doesn't have anything to do with with honest signaling. Um, right. Oh, this is another topic that we were going to talk about. Uh, you just reminded me, but it has to do with uh, zero Satoshi outputs. Yeah, absolutely. So. The the reason you would have a, a zero Satoshi output is because the output represents some kind of token or something. Sure. And um, um, the problem with the zero Satoshi output is that um, you you are not relying on Bitcoin for for double spend protection anymore. Right. So you have to um, have the the history of the token in order to verify that it was not not a double spend because mm-hmm. the the miners don't know what this token is and the rules of Bitcoin um, do not do not constrain you from from double spending this this token because from the miners perspective it is just an empty output and um and so you can have a definition of this token protocol that says what a minting transaction looks like and right. and so on and you can say like you always go with um uh uh anyway you can you can have rules that say how the token has been transferred for whatever transactions get produced but in order to to know um that the history is valid you need you need to go back to the minting transaction or you need somebody to say to uh, affirm that the the history is okay who who is not a a bitcoin miner or well, maybe he is a bitcoin miner but that's that's just a separate service from the bitcoin service but what you can do is you can use a colored coin um and um uh uh and then you can have Bitcoin's native double spend protection as part of the token protocol. Mm-hmm. So you can create a transaction that uh, requires the uh, requires any subsequent transactions to satisfy certain constraints. So you can say that you have to use the same script that I used in any right. future transactions. Just it's just kind of like how um, how uh, the GNU license is like a, a virus because it says you have to you have to keep adding the GNU license every time you make your own copy, and you have to always make the source code available and stuff like that. So you can kind of do that with with Bitcoin, and you can have a transaction that can only be spent if the next transaction satisfies certain certain constraints and you can build a a token protocol around that idea and uh attila got his idea 
from what what he had heard about the stas token protocol but he mm-hmm. he says that he never actually read the stas white paper so mm-hmm. he he wanted to um uh uh so he wanted to uh, not 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 copy the same protocol <laughs> sure. to make sure that it was his his yeah. design well and both, and both are similar to colored coins or, or the proposal for colored coins which i don't think ever actually existed it was never more than a proposal i don't well, think was it but they, but they are they are both colored coins but they also yeah. have this other thing i was talking about it's called op push tx and yeah. we can use that to make these these constraints yeah. and attila's version can can do a lot more cuz it has um it has split and merge so it can do nfts but you can also have tokens that you take apart and put back together again or okay. well you can have a sum just like how you can you can split bitcoin into two different outputs and then merge them together again um into one output later um so um and the the colored coin is like charge so we said mm-hmm. satoshis are like like mass before the, i think that the colored coin is like like charge like the yeah. uh like the electromagnetic charge or something um cuz all of those particles also have have mass mm-hmm. you can't you can't not have mass but you can also have charge in physics. Sure. Um, but also going back to to proof of work. Um, so everybody needs to signal fitness. Um, the Bitcoin miners need to signal fitness as part of making Bitcoin work, but. Everybody needs to signal fitness for all kinds of other purposes. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I just think, I just think it's kind of a kind of, I I don't, I don't see why, why people would say you can just do that with money because you can't. Uh, It's just. Well, I think, I think people see both as opportunity cost. I mean, I, I can see that like me. Me doing chores versus paying someone to do chores are are both, you know, a loss of either my time now or my previous time. Like money just represents previous time that I have spent working. Yeah, so, but I mean, if you if you burn a hundred dollar bill, that's not yeah. the same thing as if you like doing a hundred dollars work for hundred dollars worth of free energy into heat. But, yeah. <laughs> Sure. That's lost. The lost free energy is something that's actually lost. And yeah. that means that machines cannot, cannot run because right. that was lost. You have to get more energy from somewhere else. If you, sure. if you burn a hundred dollar bills or if you burn a hundred dollar bill, that doesn't change the goods that exist in the right. economy. So are we just being like too heavily subsidized by the inertia of his, of existing infrastructure plus plus all of the socialism that exists but but primarily the inertia of existing infrastructure so that we don't actually feel the need to to work in order to create value um 
what what do you mean? Well, I, I think people are confused by like signaling with proof of work because so many of us get to like to to a child, they get to go to school for what feels free to them because it's subsidized by the culture at large. And then they get clothes from their parents. And th- this is why it's difficult for like a teenager, for example, to get good at working a job because all of a sudden all like their, their subsidy is starting to dry up. And I, yeah. I feel like it, it takes somebody that's had to experience the loss of the general subsidy of life uh, to even understand why proof of work has value because they start to realize that the free time that they had previously was actually somebody else's work repurposed onto their benefit. But, you know, you talk about boost and I know boost is, is very obvious to you because the proof of work it is is sensible. Like it, it makes a lot of practical sense on paper, but I feel like we have such a like proof of stake subsidized mindset as a culture that that maybe the it just doesn't it doesn't fit. It's like a square peg in a round hole to people that can't they just can't deal well, with it because okay, there's so yeah, much well, yeah. So remember a small number of people can change the world. So mm. um so yeah, the the world is screwed up, but if we can get a small number of people who are not not so screwed up, who want to do things a different way, yeah. they can create a lot more value a lot more quickly. Sure, and they they will benefit more than than the people who. Um, who who don't want to do things that way. Right. I mean, this is just like when, if we go, let's go to a hypothetical time that didn't really happen, but like, imagine if we had peacocks before they evolved the tail. Okay. So all of the, all of the male peacocks who were not like, we would start out where there was like one, one peacock who started to, to grow the tail and all of the other male co- uh, peacocks would be saying that's why are you doing that that doesn't you, that's that's a stupid thing to do but eventually all of the male peacocks would have the tail because the one the one who started it benefits more from yeah. using it uh and the same the same with his his children and their children and there's there's additional benefit to be had as long as there are there are other peacocks around who are who are not maximizing value. Right. So I mean, there's a there's a big opportunity in being, uh, uh, you know, some of the first people to start, um, to start use using proof of work, um, correctly or you know the way that I think will will work. Um, or I mean, so, so I claim, like I claim that there's an opportunity there. I mean, I think yeah. that if you go through the economics of what I've said about it, it's, it's obvious that there is an opportunity there, but if you wanted to actually do it, you would have to, you would have to convince yourself that the, the opportunity is, is real. Uh, you shouldn't just do it because I, I would say so, but I mean, like, Right now, what what I really need is some of these people who want to be like, like the first the first peacock who grew the tail. Sure, you know what I mean. 
No, it's it's interesting. Well, and I bring this up too because there's so much like people are talking about the subsidies right now in in the culture. I mean, like Joe Biden was on TV the other day, like telling people, like, hey, if you get a job that is that will pay you, you need to take that job. We can't have you on welfare forever because we have such a problem of people that are making more money off the dole than they ever Wait. made. <laughs> Did Joe Biden say that? Yeah, it was I, I saw it go by on Twitter. Um where he was saying that the, the, there's an epidemic of people that are turning down viable work because the work doesn't pay them as much as various stimulus checks and, and all these different things yeah, are paying. Well. So, so we're creating like an in, increased uh, problem of people getting value without contributing work. And it gets so topsy turvy that at some point it's going to be really hard to kickstart. And so like, d- d- who's going to be that first peacock that grows the tail basically like goes back to work creates value like leaves the hood or wherever they're at and you know like just just leads the way there like that's that's a very i don't know it's a a very weird problem that i think we're gonna have to have a very practical answer for very soon because it's starting to seem like it's well okay very real problem i mean the uh the populations of of predator and and prey follow cycles. So yeah. right now we're at we're at a stage where the the predator population is uh, at a a maximum, mm-hmm. but they can't maintain their population when they're uh, they're killing all of the prey. Right. So they're going to reduce the the prey population, and then. Mm-hmm. They're just not going to have enough food, so they're they're going to reduce their population, yep. and so then the prey animals will be able to start start growing the economy again. Right. Sure. Interesting. Well, and, and it's just like you know people talking about sustainable farming as if as if capitalists would just destroy all of their own ability to to make food and then we all starve to death because nobody planned for the next season or, or whatever. Well, if, I mean, yeah, if, if we really wanted sustainable stuff, we wouldn't need predators. So, yeah. but yeah, people don't, I, I mean, I don't think people are very good at, uh, well, there's, um, there's a time frame, right? There's a time frame that people think over. So, mm. and well, and there are differences in people, in terms of how far ahead into the future they they think yeah and so um like when when we have um a a change where people become more present oriented so they were thinking about the future a lot before and now they're thinking about it a lot less what happens is all of the capital goods of the economy mm-hmm. get used up without being replaced. Yeah. So there is a uh, an initial splurge, and like mainstream economists will, uh, well, I mean, I don't know if they really know anything, but they'll say that that's <laughs> great because they're like, ah, oh, yeah. people are getting to consume a lot. Uh, that's good. That's the economy is growing, but well, the, this, really, it's is, not growing. 
This yeah. is like economists pointing to the stock market and saying, see, the economy is healthy and they're yeah, only right. looking at yeah. stock prices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. And so then, um, um, so everybody is living high off the hog, but all of our tools are not being replaced. So we're losing productive capacity in the future. So yeah. um, we become more present oriented and we increase consumption for a while. But after we've gone, we've gone past our own time horizon mm -hmm. from before, then we, we can't produce as much anymore because we just weren't thinking about this time uh, when, you know, before we weren't thinking about it, so we didn't prepare for it. And now we can't produce as much. Sure. So, um, um, uh, so that's kind of what's been happening in the world is we've been, uh, becoming more and more present oriented. Mm -hmm. And what we need is to be more future oriented and so right now there's you know there's a whole class of people who don't uh don't want people to be more future oriented because if mm -hmm. they were they would realize that this class of people is actually useless and not really <laughs> contributing anything yeah and um as long as people don't have time to think about it then they're uh they're doing okay but sure People, I mean, if uh, I mean, I think people who want to be the uh, the next stage of human evolution, they just have to figure out how to be more future oriented. Like you, and sure, you can't control what other people do. So it it you just you have to figure out how you you can be a more future oriented person under these conditions, For sure. and then. You know, after the uh, the predator population uh, dies out from uh, uh, from killing off all of the prey population, hopefully, hopefully you've survived that, and yeah, <laughs> then then you're all set right. for for actually doing doing good things. Sure, let's. So we're at about an hour and 15 minutes now. Um, and if this goes much longer, nobody will rewatch it just because people are lazy and foolish <laughs> but uh let's do some rapid fire questions uh so quick quick questions quick answers Got okay uh tog tog uh serious question for kurt and daniel even ignoring the satoshi claims that are not helping how does bsv go against mastercard silicon valley and the banksters that choose btc and ethereum well uh, the the real Bitcoin offers a service called Byzantine fault tolerance and double spend protection is, um, I mean, that's mainly what Bitcoin is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and double spend protection is a, a subset of Byzantine fault tolerance. But on top of Bitcoin, you can, you can create more Byzantine fault tolerance. You can pretty much get any, anything. Uh, well, and what Byzantine fault tolerance means is that all honest actors agree and right. cannot be prevented from agreeing 
by um from the uh the actions of of traders yeah or from circumstance because they're they're distributed over uh over space so yeah. they can also disagree because they don't know enough about what everybody else is doing fast enough but somebody who's sitting around trying to do a divide and conquer attack will not be successful in a, a Byzantine fault tolerance system. So BTC does not offer that. And MasterCard does not offer that. Um, and so uh, in the white paper, uh, Satoshi says in the first paragraph that a certain percentage of fraud is accepted as uh, normal or something, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So, um, and because, and that's referring to the earlier systems. So before we had Byzantine fault tolerance, we didn't have all honest actors agree. So mm-hmm. we have to accept a certain percentage of fraud um, necessarily. Whereas in Bitcoin, where we do have Byzantine fault tolerance, we don't have to accept a certain percentage of fraud. And that's why, uh, so, well, consequently, like transactions can clear very quickly. So a lot more yeah. can happen in the Bitcoin economy than in uh, the, the, credit, uh, the credit dollar economy. And, sure. and the and the credit BTC economy, which is yep. what MasterCard and PayPal are doing. So yep. essentially, like uh, when you make a BTC payment, like it it begins with um, with the institutions giving each other an IOU that's going to be cleared eventually on the blockchain, um, but. Uh, with the real Bitcoin, we have we have instant pain. Oh, and so that IOU isn't really good until after it gets paid. So sure. all of their system is is built to try to make sure that the IOUs always get paid, but that's a huge cost to making sure that happens, um, which we just don't have in the real Bitcoin. So sure. we've got a uh, a better we've just got a better service than uh, right than PayPal and and Mastercard. Oh, amen. Good answer. Uh, HV asking, what is the strongest dominant phenotype of BSV? This. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Probably the Omega male. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, Patrick asking, Daniel, what has you excited about Bitcoin right now? What are you really looking forward to? Uh, well, I'm really looking forward to having a reliable proof of work service because mm-hmm. then I know that I will be able to buy attention instantly rather than having to build an audience over a long period of time, which is what I had to do before. <laughs> and that's not, that's not what anybody should have to do. Sure. 
Daniel, how do you compare boost pow to other forms of proof of work? For example, a journalist who has 20 years of demonstrated sound and honest output. I want to see what he says, even if he doesn't use boost. Yeah. So a reputation is a, uh, it, it is like a handicap mm-hmm. because it does demonstrate opportunity cost be, because you could destroy your reputation and you have yeah. to not, you have to not do that. Um, but it is not a handicap because it's not provable waste because the reputation does, does benefit you. Um, well, and you're not, you're not actually destroying anything to create the reputation. Like a, a handicap is provable waste. And um, the difference the difference is that you have to ask around to figure out what somebody's reputation is, or you have to investigate them to figure out what their history is. And uh, a handicap can be verified instantaneously, and it doesn't require any outside information. So it's basically like, like, like um, if I if I'm the the peacock. She doesn't have, or at the, and I'm talking to the peahen. She doesn't have to um, investigate my reputation or history. It's just like I'm throwing stuff away right in front of her. So sure. she can't argue with that, can she? No. Um, <laughs> and um, so uh, a reputation is is not is not proof of work in the sense that like a partially inverted hash is it's it's not it's not a handicap and um the the reason that handicaps are successful in nature is that well there's they 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 save females time and a right. reputation does not does not save you time because you have to spend time to investigate it Whereas a handicap is something where you just see it and then you you automatically you just have a system that costs almost no time that tells you sure. what initial amount of attention is it worthwhile to give a bunch of different candidates. Uh, so they save female time and that's why they benefit females and they benefit males because they ensure that uh, you will get an an honest assessment. So sure. if you satisfy the female's proof of work requirement, that means that she's actually going to uh, give you a, a close inspection and try to understand everything and you know evaluate uh, everything about you in light of the whole and not just you know right. uh, not just uh, try to dismiss you for for, for whatever, because she doesn't have yeah. enough time. For see sure. what I mean? I, I do. No, that makes perfect sense. Another one here from Rick Howard, a, a frequent questioner on the show. So thanks for your, your return and your, your near constant patronage, Mr. Howard. Uh, tough one here. What games does Daniel stream on Twitch? Um, mostly I do uh, classic NES games. Um. And I, um, I can confirm. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of got interested in speed running lately because it's 
it's a lot like um, it's a lot like uh, doing proof of work um, because yeah. you have to run the same game over and over again until uh, you match a certain difficulty target. And mm. with speed running, the target is the amount of time it takes, and it means it, it means that every game becomes arbitrarily difficult. So it doesn't matter how easy the game is. If you start to speed run it, eventually it becomes as difficult as as it needs to be, mm-hmm. because every uh, every amount of time, every uh, say as as you decrease the amount of time, the um, tricks that you have to learn to decrease the time even more just become more and more difficult, and they just end up having to do with all of these the quirks of the game and knowing every little thing about it and whatever whatever you can you can do with it, not just like right. what the uh, the developers intended for it. <laughs> Sure. So, I mean, I really think that if um, we could get some of these speedrunners in Bitcoin, that would really improve things around here. Because to me, Bitcoin is like a game that someone would want to play over and over and over again until it's perfectly optimized. Sure. And um, I, uh, I, I think some of those guys would be uh, would be really good in in Bitcoin. I, so yeah, I, absolutely. I wish some of that that drive to optimize a completely arbitrary game <laughs> that's you know that's could be adapted to uh you know the real life game uh that absolutely. I think that would be a lot more fun. Um, yeah, I think so too. So any any shout outs? Anybody deserve a, a hello or a thank you before we wrap up? Um, well, I don't know. <laughs> You're putting me on the spot now. Um, no problem. Shout out to, um, to Reiner Filmy. Uh, he's my hero right now. I, I don't know who that is. <laughs> he is a, he is a lawyer who is suing the World Health Organization. <laughs> cool. I like it. So awesome, Daniel! Thank you so much for your time. I'm gonna rewatch this myself because uh, I think there's a re- lot of really good information here. And if people uh, would focus on honest signals and creating value, then we wouldn't have to be competing so hard against such bad competitors. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> truly, I, 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 that's I really a good, tr- good point. <laughs> yeah, let's all compete to contribute to the Bitcoin ecosystem and ignore uh, everybody else. That's going to do more. Thank goodness. So, but really, I I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your friendship and our our private conversations and everything else. So uh, thanks again. Uh, Where where can people find you? Where would you like people to find you? Uh, I'm user 24 on Twitch and check out my, my YouTube videos. And also there's a couple, there's a few videos I have on Streamanity that are not available on YouTube. So Mm -hmm. they're cheap though. You do have to pay for them. Awesome. But you need to watch all of my uh, all of my Bitcoin stuff videos. Well, at least all of the ones on on Streamanity. I didn't yeah. copy all of them over, but <laughs> um, yeah. 
Uh, and um, I mean, my Twitch channel is really boring. I just do it to, to you know, to wind down and talk to to my friends and things. Uh, I think they're but, fun. <laughs> oh yeah, and <laughs> I invited you on there, and then I didn't notice that you were yeah. you were joining the Zoom call. <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, and I've you know, and I think I've been on. I think I've been on your Twitch twice so that would have been the third time but we'll uh hopefully hopefully as my my kids settle down as, as my my brand new baby uh becomes a little more reliable with a schedule i'll be able to do more of that too so yeah yeah send her off to college that'll help <laughs> yeah absolutely someday you'll get me you'll get me before my my whole beard turns white <laughs> <laughs> yeah so. Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks a lot. Uh, I had a great time, and it was nice to see you and then talk with you. And um, likewise, yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. No, thank you. Take care. So, everybody, ah, there we got the we got the Alex the double tap. So, uh, again, everybody, uh, Daniel Daniel was a writer for the Mises Institute. He was a, uh, I believe, a co-founder of the Nakamoto Institute. Um, most of the most of the phrases that all the people that don't understand Bitcoin use on a regular basis, like hyper Bitcoinization and uh, a lot of a lot of the old school stuff comes from Daniel. So the people that, that say these things as if they're brilliant don't realize they're quoting a person who fundamentally disagrees with their worldview about Bitcoin, which to me is both hilarious, but also tragic in many ways, because there's so much opportunity for us to create value in Bitcoin. And this is what I keep telling you. The purpose of this live stream is to encourage you, the average Bitcoiner, the person who's smart enough to know that Bitcoin exists and is capable of incredible things. You should be building businesses. You should be building powerful relationships, more closely intertwined networks and, and places where you can share good ideas. And so that good ideas can become good businesses so that they become profit so that your life becomes better. And as your life becomes better, you can focus on creating an increasing number of uh, valuable things with that time. And ultimately, uh, you know, we're talking about doing this so that our, our children, our grandchildren, and so on, have this opportunity to then do the same thing themselves. We're, we're talking about a truly purpose-driven life here, where, where everything that we do creates value for the people around us. And, and then we get to benefit. We benefit in, in ways that we can call profit. So these are the, the hard assets that we can accumulate, but also the profit in joy or the experience of love with other people. And if we can get all this drama out of the way, all this silly stuff that we waste time on, then, well, then we can enjoy our lives the way that we see fit. And if incentives realign in, in such a way, well, we can be more free. We can be more sovereign. We can own our own data, our own identities. And we don't have to worry about all of these problems. If, 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 if our enemies are forced to interface with us through proof of work, well, goodness, that's a world that I would love to live in. So please like, subscribe, love your comments, love the troll box. But uh, as you share these videos, let people know that, hey, we're here talking about big ideas. We really, truly care about changing the world for the better in BSV. And truly, we are the only community that has the tools to actually keep the promises that everybody hears from the blockchain space. And uh, it's, it's something that the world deserves to know more about. So please, and thank you, uh, but please, <laughs> please do that. Please, please share the videos around. Let them know that every Tuesday at 1 o'clock Central Standard Time, I am here to, uh, to do these shows. Uh, I think maybe we'll do an AMA next week. Oh, 
And a little announcement about uh, Mr. Zatoshi. He's on vacation this week, but next week he said he would give away one whole BSV in a wallet. So make sure you come back next week. You'll be able to sweep a wallet for one whole BSV. And that will be really awesome. So again, thank you to everybody. And uh, I'm going to say hi to my wife and my son, Ronan, and my little daughter, Molly, who I'm excited to go spend a little bit of time with. <sighs> Thanks again, everybody. This has been the CoinGeek Weekly Livestream. Kurt, out! Data is one of the world's most valuable commodities. Tech giants and institutions have become richer by collecting and selling data. Data has the power to liberate, but has been used to manipulate. Data should be used to improve interoperability while securing privacy. Data sovereignty is most powerful when ownership is restored to individuals. But how can we speed up the flow of information while also empowering everyone to be more private, secure, and free? Join us at CoinGeek Zurich and learn how the Bitcoin SV blockchain ignites the power of data.